Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are around the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I'm Mark Salavari, and today we're taking a look back at the WC round at Spa Francorchamps, the first round of the brand new LMH era. Uh, and doing that with me tonight, I have with me Oliver Troavis. Ollie, good to have you back on the show. How have you been the last few weeks? Wex back, baby. Wex is back. Yes. How good was it? Oh, it was good. It was it was exciting. Um, yeah, as you said, debut. Uh, it was new beginnings. It was all lots of storylines to talk about. And we've yeah, got good. we've got plenty of time, plenty of things to talk about. Before we jump into that, we must first say thanks to our sponsor, the Racing app. Your motorsport calendar. Jump in, get in your notifications for all the sessions and series that you want, and it's all converted into your time zone, which makes the math super easy. And instead of making me do it, which I hate. And before we even get into the WEC, we've got another thing to talk about. Holy shit, Penske and Porsche are back, baby! Dude, I'm so hyped. Yeah. I am so hyped for the this. return. Oh, yeah. Because Penske are just serial winners. I mean, depends on how you define serial winners in terms of their uh, DPI project with Acura. But still, Penske are serial winners. They won overall races in an LMP2 car with Porsche. And this is a the revival of a, a relationship that goes back 50 years. It was 50 years next year that uh, Penske put the 917 into the um, Can-Am series. So it's awesome. It's an awesome revival of that incredible, iconic brand association. I'm so excited. When you think of uh, OEM combos in terms of like teams that run them, you've got the, the Audi, the Yoast kind of combos, and they're like the, the pinnacle. Mm. And then you, you compare this and it's just like side by side. It's yeah. like, wow, this is this is quality. Yeah, I would be, uh, with that in mind, I would be very surprised if Porsche didn't come in and just start winning. And I mean, we always say this about Porsche. They That is what they do. They come into series and they start winning. And it took them most of a season the last time they were in the WEC. But I would not be surprised if it took them like two or three races to just be winning in in, in the WEC or in IMSA uh, with Penske as their, their backers. The interesting note on that, though, is that it's Penske for their global operation. So normally, like last time we saw them in the WEC, it was Porsche doing the 919 in-house and running the 919, Porsche Motorsport running the 919. Do you think that is a... a, a uh, what do you make of that? Um, I think it's... Um... The key is in terms of looking at how Penske plan things in terms of, yeah, they're, they're, the way things are done in the US is different. Um, it, if you take a, a US crew and and transplant them into the WEC, there's going to be a few teething problems in terms of, you know, the way the pit stops are run, the way the strategies run is, is completely different. Um, but it, if you if you transplant the systems and how they optimize to those different regulations, then you you have the trust in Penske in in terms of making the most and maximizing. So um, I don't think it would necessarily be transplanting people from America. It it but it it would be you know the way that they plan at a high level and and execute everything to the to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, and making you know perfection out of everything and and we as i said we've seen that in everything that they do from supercars to indycar to 
question mark over DPI, and we'll leave that there. But NASCAR as well, they they do it to the nth degree, and it's going to be awesome. We'll, we'll leave that there because we do need to talk about the WEC. It's been a little while since the race, enough time for us to sort of get our heads together and sort of settle into what the new WEC is. First off, straight off the bat, what did you think? What did you think of the product? Or what did you think of LMH as a product, as a racing product, and, and the, the broadcast and all of those sort of things? Ollie, what did you think? I think the broadcast was great. I was I was looking forward to it a lot. Um, having having you know arguably the best crew um, around in in commentary, uh, and also having um, Louise Beckett back and mm. Duncan Vincent in the pit lane is it's so good to have the 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 connection between the the commentary booth and the the drivers and the teams. They they follow every little detail in the pit lane and uh, add to the product. It, it was so good. Yeah. I, I, broadcast was great. There's little I can think of that to fault it, to be honest. Um, and um, there was more in terms of um, content put on social media uh, in terms of um, Duncan Vincent doing some great stuff on Instagram, Facebook and on the app. Um, doing paddock walks, mm. showing off bits of the track, you know, highlighting with slow mos the compression in Eau Rouge, um, and and showing the plank scraping along the ground, things like that. Man, how Just good was that? Having a little extra, yeah, uh, and and then the slow mo during the race um, over Radion, and well, uh, we'll talk about the qualifying <laughs> as well. The slow mos there, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, just the, the quality of the camera work is just so polished um and uh, and then there was also a little extra with um alan mcnish uh <laughs> who's absolutely fantastic yes. and uh he was doing some bits uh pre-race um there was some a cartoon descriptions with the yeah with the cartoon um it was good to break things down and hopefully we see more of that um <laughs> i just would like to see it more in terms of implemented in within the race because yeah. it's kind of not highlighted when it's kind of just this little clip that's like never or is not very visible yeah um so if they integrated that sort of content in terms of the commentary um doing it on the fly uh in the booth if possible well i think alan is someone who could you know be capable of that absolutely. with his background absolutely um, yeah. uh, alan mcnish to me should be the WEC version of what we have in supercars with Mark Larkham, like the 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 hub 100%. area that he's got there, like the, just give him the freedom to be like, I have noticed this thing on this car or this corner or whatever. Give me five minutes to explain it with a screen and with examples, and it'll be it'll be the best thing ever. Uh, I did quite like the 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 sort of feature thing that he he did that went up on the YouTube. I'm not so sure about the format, the cartoon. It's a little like kitty to me, but yeah. in terms of actual content, it was very very well done. Yeah, I think there's a kind of void um, for that. I remember, I always remember at Shanghai uh, last season when he was doing the a, a track walk and just talking about the difference in the tarmac of that circuit compared to the rest of the season and it was something that was quite interesting and um i think if they push for that like 
um, if there's something in general like G-forces or there's something track specific, like we were talking about with O-Rouge and the compression and designing the cars to withstand the suspension, setting them up to withstand that compression, you know, that's something that's track specific. Um, if they did those things um, throughout the season and maybe put them on YouTube that's more accessible, uh, Facebook, Instagram, that sort of thing, then that's good. I think it's great to market towards kids because we want kids in STEM. Yeah. Um, and, and that's 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 like your entire your entire shtick, isn't it? You you want to get kids into STEM. Yeah, and and but then it's also a, a fine line, bit or or a tough ask to to try and market towards kids that may be getting interested in STEM, but also the adults. Um, yeah, and there are, there is a massive spectrum of people that are in, uh, that are following the sport. There's some that might have an engineering background, a technical STEM background, that will be more interested in the finer details but then you have the younger people who are just getting started with studies that might like the more cartoon approachable um higher level things so it's super tough they probably have already had these discussions yeah when um designing this sort of thing um but in general more the better yeah, I I gotta agree with you on pretty much every single count. Just just quietly, just everything. It was just so good to have such a polished and put together broadcast. Just back again. The graphics, you know, people have their their qualms about the graphics. I quite like them. I I think they're yeah, very I don't clean. See the point. Yeah, I don't see a problem. Yeah, they're they're there's. I think the MotoGP graphics are unequivocally the best graphics in motorsport. VF Supercars comes close, but they're looking for you know slightly different things in in that. Um, but these are these are perfectly fit for purpose, and they do a very very good job of that. Having Louise back with alongside Duncan, it was just so nice. Just the, the questions that she can just put in front of a driver, <laughs> it's just incredible. I, I had to ask. I had to ask. I think because uh, Graham Goodwin was uh, dropping into the live chat with us. I had to ask him whether or not he, she was getting fed this information. She was like, "Oh no, she just does that." <laughs> He's on the ball. She's just, it's just, like, just incredible. Super on the ball. Uh, but um, oh, another, uh, another quick thing about the broadcast, because it, it, it covers um, all classes. Uh, and speaking of graphics, number boards. Mm, what yeah. do you think of the number boards? I, I feel like this is going to be controversial. I hate them. I, I want the, the yep. old ones back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I and, and like there is a sound reason why as well. I don't just hate them because they're artsy and oh no, they're changed. In le like legibility and immediate legibility is very very important in in motorsport marshalling. So I've I've marshaled a bunch of events. You know you've heard about that all before, either here or in V8 chat when that used to be a thing. The way that you identify cars that aren't Formula One cars is by their number. So imagine a, having a crashed car, a crashed Orica that's blue, and you can't see the number because it's some whatever, whatever font. How are you meant to communicate to not only the other marshal posts, not only your marshals at the post, but the com race control and the guys who are, you know, m taking on the whole event? If you can't read the number, if it's in some dumb font that just doesn't sit with the, the rest of the car, it just... The standardized number formats are important, and I don't think I don't think the number board is the appropriate place for the cars to be expressing their personality. There you go, I said it. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree that there, there is the safety aspect. Um, the 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 teams aren't 
especially in P2 and GTM, they aren't hindered by corporate whatever. Yeah. They have the freedom to design whatever they want over the whole car. So um, I think we need to rein it in a little bit <laughs> and uh, protect the uh, graphic designers from themselves. Yeah, and uh, Zodiac makes a great point in chat. There was a penalty for one of the Sport car that was given to the wrong car. Was that due to the number boards? Like, come on, guys, this is not... Uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, social media stuff has been... I, I think the t- uptick in social media content has been incredible for the start of the WEC, and I know that it is because of the change in their social media approach. So if anyone from the WEC ever listens to this, keep doing <laughs> that. That was great. <laughs> More stuff yeah, with Duncan. <laughs> More stuff with Duncan in the pits. That was brilliant. That's like exactly what you want in terms of being engaging to to bring people in and get them excited. Yeah, yeah. Duncan's Duncan's great. You can tell he's super excited and Mm. he's really good at at, um, explaining things. Like there was one quick thing in the paddock when he was talking about why the cars are are, um, with their engines on like 20 minutes, half an hour before a session. And he was just explaining then going into you know, how the engines are designed and and in terms of the tolerances of how they're made and making sure everything's warm and why they need to be warm and stuff like that. And it was on the fly. It was really good. He's just, yeah, he's a consumer professional. And one thing as well about the commentary team, you could tell how much fun they were having. Like, oh my God, the, the you know, Haven cracking wise, Graham cracking wise, Alan cracking wise. It was just, it, they like there was a few times where I didn't know where to groan or laugh. And I think that was just, they, they hit the nail on the head in terms of the tone. And we know that from the WEC comms and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Yeah, I think we've we've we've, we've exhausted that. Cool. It, like it was really good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about what happened on track. Uh, and everyone was concerned about the new class. What we saw in testing, they were going, "Oh, it's overlap with the LMP2, and they might need to slow the LMP2 even more." And uh, it turns out that they had some pace. Who would have thought? Right? Who would have thought? Spooky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And it turns out they didn't just have some pace. They had some decent pace as well. I, I think the, the race lap times, you probably know better than I, but they were two to three seconds a lap faster than LMP2 cars. Sure, it wasn't like what we've seen in the past where they'd be just be like running away from them out of corners, but there was still consistent, uh, you know, consistently quicker than all the other cars, even the Alpine, uh, even the, the Toyotas and the actual LMH were faster than all the other cars except for the uh, included the alpine except for one period of the race which we'll talk about a little later but uh, i pose a question to you ollie how do you think it looks does it look like a top class does it have the same sort of feel does it feel like it's fast um i I, i've always said it's a downgrade Mm. um moving towards the the kind of converged era since um lmp1 h you know it's kind of these cars were going warp speed. Um, yeah. Let's not forget. I think the the balance between LMP2 and the top class is dif- is difficult because yes, it may it was made to look worse at the start of the race because these LMP2s, when they have a clear track, like we saw in with the the top times in for all the headlines in all the practice sessions and and everything, they are super quick. But then when you look at the race pace, when the track is all, you know, 
a homogenous mixture of of cars everywhere that the lmhs are much better um yeah. or made to look less worse i guess <laughs> because that to describe it you know the, the the 22 had a great start and was was kind of holding up the the alpine and it couldn't really get past it mm. in the first stint um but then when the alpine came up to other p2s later on um and and coming to lap the the, the or pass the 22 potentially later on um it, it wasn't so bad yeah uh, it, it was about seven laps or so that it, it was kind of finding it really hard to overtake and so on a clear track um these p2s they've they've still got a really really high top speed and um they don't the 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 top class doesn't have that punch out of a corner that the the p2s don't have so that's where the big difference is yeah and 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 in terms of lap times a couple of seconds between the top lap times of a p2 and a kind of top top um lap time of a a top class the top class they're more likely to be able to hit that or or be close to that top lap time because they're all pro drivers yeah whereas when you have a p2 with um a silver or bronze that they have to run then they kind of naturally fall back um so i think it's okay and you know sports cars has had this history when we had the lmp 900 and the lmp 600 where they were the kind of two different classes and either one of prototypes could kind of punch now lmp 900s were kind of more favored by the regulations if i remember correctly so it was kind of rarer for an lmp 600 with this this lower power to to actually compete for race wins um on a regular basis um like these p2s then they're not going to be regularly yeah. running at the front of races overall but it, it does add a little extra spice in mm. terms of holding up the top class potentially um like we saw at spa but also if there are any um problems for reliability then they could sneak a podium or you know <laughs> maybe do a 2017 and, and almost win or yeah at Le Mans. that was i still think that was the craziest thing in the world and as an aside as well it wasn't too far off for the LMP2 cars in terms of uh, snagging a podium. You know, they ended up finishing only a minute behind the top hyperclass hypercar class car. And yeah, it wasn't actually too far-fetched to think that was a possibility. And we'll talk more about the the comings and goings in LMP2 a little later on, specifically Phil Hansen, because that was that was whack. But let's let's focus on the LMH class and and the the sort of problems that Toyota had, and it was all on the seven car. Now I'm not sure if this was because the number seven car was the one that the car that had problems in the prologue, and so the team just wasn't up to the standard as the other half of the garage. But it seemed like everything that could have gone wrong in that race for Toyota went wrong on the seven. You know, they had pit troubles. They had a, 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 a few offs in the number seven, like a really weird off for, I think it was um, Nakajima. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, it was uh, Kobayashi. Yeah. At, um, at the Brussels hairpin where he just went straight off in a straight line, like missed his breaking point by miles. It, it just, it, you know, they, they had a weird lack of pace in patches as well. Like, uh, what were your thoughts on that? Did, did the, was the number seven just underbaked? Yeah, I think it was. It, it did feel strange going into this race in terms of the lack of running. They, they, they. It looked like they prioritised uh, all of their development onto one single chassis to just try and get it um, 
to to really push the homologation um like we've seen with um Glickenhaus mm. um deciding to delay with with Toyota they they really pushed hard to get to that deadline of homologating for the first race because they they wouldn't stand the embarrassment of of not being there oh of course um not. and uh so i think they really pushed hard on that one uh one car uh and then they then had to catch up with the second car teething problems mm. making a new car from scratch but even but even yeah. the um the Toyota, the number eight wasn't immune to problems. Do you remember the, uh, the the pit stop drama that they had, where they they had required by the regulations to to be filling the car for a certain amount of time, and they you know pulled the fuel out of the car, the car dropped and went away, and then you know stopped and was like, oh no, what do I do? What do I do? I think Boemi came over the radio going, do I stay or do I do I go? It it just seemed scrappy, and I'm I'm not sure why we don't normally see scrappy from Toyota. Well, I think I think we do in some respects, but in the last couple of seasons, they've kind of had the buffer mm, to get away with it. But then, it. yeah, but then moving into this balance of performance formula where the gaps are a lot more compressed, um, they're going to be shown up, and and these small little issues are going to become more more significant ones. Whether it's human error in terms of the fueler pulling the the hose out, um, for for reference, the all fuel fuel hoses have to be on for 35 seconds yeah. to kind of equalize the fueling differences because of the the different amounts of fuel that the different cars use um and the fueler pulled the hose out presumably when the fuel flow stopped just like he would have done for years before yeah you know you want to pull the the hose out as soon as possible and then the car can go but they can't do that anymore regardless of if the fuel is flowing or not they need to hold the hose attached to the car and um so that's that's human error unless there's a, a system that that he was blindly following like on on, on the numbers on they have, a, they have a little number dial um mm. counting either flow volume time one of those parameters and um it's just not not good enough in terms of what we expect so yeah they're they're going to work that out they're going to sort it out they're going to see what went wrong make sure it never happens again um, so that when there is more competition, they don't make these kinds of mistakes. Because when we have these full grids um, with, you know, dozen double figures hypercars in the top class. Which is soon. Um, yeah. And, and that sort of issue, you know, if they're in the lead, that could completely lose from the lead to not even getting a podium sort mm. of thing. Um, and, and, you know, potentially getting penalties. Well, they so, did get a penalty um, for that as well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and it all it all kind of played into the hands of the Alpine team. They had a very strong run in the middle of the race, unsurprisingly, at the hands of Nicolas Lapierre. You've you've done a, a fair bit of analysis on the pace from this race. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, check out uh, Ollie's post in Sports Car Engineering Blogspot. So yeah, have a look at that, uh, which is on the sub as well. Uh, so because he did a very good job of. Uh, Putting together something, a visual representation of the balance performance. Ollie, did the Alpine actually have a chance this race, in your opinion? Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, they they were very consistent. Um, they did pretty much everything they could. The trouble is, we'll talk about the, the, the pit strategy later, but um, on in terms of what happened on track, 
regardless of the pit lane. They they were very consistent. They're very good at just tapping away the, the those lap times. The there is a bit of discrepancy between the um, Toyotas and the, the Alpine around three or four tenths on average. Um, so so the the balance of performance is measured on the top sixty uh, percent of the race laps. And if you take a measurement window of each car's top 60% laps, the Alpine is around three-tenths or four-tenths slower yeah. um, than the, the fastest Toyota. Yes, there is a pace discrepancy on track, but I think the key difference is what happened on track. Um, they need to really be lucky with their, their pit stops. They have uh, a fuel allowance, um, which has gone up since... Um, the LMP1 hybrid era so the last two seasons that these cars have been racing the fuel allowance has gone up because the new top class has got heavier yeah and with more power um for the for the hypercars and and LMDHs so the um the fuel that they need to move that heavier mass is um at a higher power is of of combustion engine is has gone up yeah so um the trouble is, though, that these LMP1 chassis are the same and they don't have, uh, uh, you know, they can't just click their fingers and have more volume inside the car to fill more yeah. fuel in. So they've been given in the rules more fuel than they can fit in the car yeah. per <laughs> pit stop. So they can't actually do it. So if they balance it to, you know, a finger in the air, then sure, they're balanced in the pit lane. But these cars, they aren't, you know imaginary they're real they're tangible these are things that the aco know um these are things that the aco could have planned for <laughs> they know the 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 volume of the the, the alpine um, fuels tank is limited at what 73 liters and they were given 75 or something along those lines yeah i'm not sure but the on the exact numbers but it was a bit of a joke um and so yes the the toyota they have the the marketing benefit of having a one fewer pit stop potential going longer on fuel that sort of thing but when you're in a balance of performance formula where they should be the same and they are trying to equalize pit stops it was a bit of a joke yeah um and for this 6 hour format that is hardly ever going to change that's pretty locked in yeah sure there are differences between circuits and how long each car can go slightly but it's not really going to be different um, for the other six-hour events. We might see it closer together or further apart um, at the next round at Portimao, where it's an eight-hour format. Yeah, I haven't run the numbers for, for an eight-hour format scaling up from six, the stint lengths, but, oh, man, it's, it, that is, I think, the biggest detriment yeah. to um, the, the current top class. And hopefully we have seen... Um, Alpine be a bit vocal um, on this this uh, issue, and I think the ACO are able to sort it. They just need to try a little yeah. harder yeah. at this sort of um, balancing because yeah. there is a discrepancy and it needs to be fixed. Yeah, well, it it certainly is a discrepancy. So the the end result was that the Toyota could go maybe what. The 23 laps on a tank, whereas the Alpine was limited to about 21. Uh, and the the difference there was because the Alpine had... They were, they were allowed 
so I've actually found the numbers. It's seventy nine point five liters of fuel per stint, and they could only they only have a tank of seventy five liters. So they, you know, square peg round hole here. Except your pegs are fuel, and the hole is the fuel tank. So in the end, that resulted in an additional stop for the number uh, the the number thirty six Alpine, and you know you remove the slow down pit fuel and release time of the additional stop and that's a what about a minute and how big was the gap at the end of the race about a minute so it's 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 one of those one of those very close run things and let's not forget as well the Alpine was leading the race at one point and leading quite substantially uh so it it certainly does have the pace it is absolutely not a pipe dream that the Alpine could on a better strategy or say if Toyota make a few mistakes like they did at Spa Francorchamps that the 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 Alpine could be in with a good result but you would have to say that defeating one of the Toyotas to take second place is a good result if you'd offered them that at the beginning of the week they would have taken that wouldn't they yeah and and let's not forget the the sort of darling LMH debut mm. angle uh this the cynical take um and you're all about of... the cynical tank. Oh yes. Um the ACO they want their new baby to have the limelight. Um the first hypercar class has an LMH winning it. Of course, it had to be. So, you know, if you think of it that angle and with a with a positive spin rather than a double negative spin, once that is out of the way, now those headlines are out of the way they can now get on to actually racing properly kind of thing. So they've I kind hope of they do. I hope they do. handed, yeah, they've handed Toyota their win. Now let's, let's get on with it and do it properly. Absolutely. So we'll see these cars out next time at Portimao, which is in a few weeks. It is the 13th of June for the eight hours of Portimao. Uh, I'm keen for that. It would be nice to see WC at that track. We should also be expecting one Glickenhaus car in Portimao. Uh, they, they have done their homologation, so they've done their 30-hour uh, test. So we will see one at the, at, at the track. Uh, and uh, with Ryan Briscoe, Roman Dumas, and Richard Westbrook. So we've figured out all the drivers, and we've figured all that out. I am keen to see where Glickenhaus slots in on this. Uh, do we think they'll be ahead of the Alpine or do we think they'll not have that outright pace just yet? Um, it's difficult to know because the, the Alpine is, um, is, is not built to LMH regulations. So, or, or any regulation for the hypercar class, as it were, for the, for the, for the long-term hypercar class. So it's kind of being bodged into this performance window and, it would be really nice to see how an, a non-hybrid LMH also works in that performance window. You know, whether the BOP is actually in theory really close and the Alpine is not getting close to that because it's an LMP1 and it's quite, quite you know, um, held back. Uh, and and yeah, there, there are so many different variables. I, I, I have no idea where it's going to sit. Also, it's new car. Yeah, teething problems maybe hasn't raced. Um, 
they haven't raced uh, in the ACO racing. They've they've mainly done Creventic with the GT3 based style thing and, and N24 VLN. VLN. Yeah. So uh, and also Yoast returning. Um, there are so many different variables. Same thing with the drivers. Um, Roman Dumas hasn't been in in a t- the top class for a while. He's been doing P2 stuff. Yep. Um, same thing with Briscoe and Westbrook. I don't remember them doing top class stuff in a while. So, you know, there there are so many different variables that, you know, add up into making it look like a a, a rough shot at at winning um, at Portimao. Um, especially because it's a longer race as well, eight hours, as we mentioned. Yeah, so I, um, I'm I'm pretty keen to see them. That's a, a gamut of things that you've you've uh, given us there to think about. If they have a clean race and Toyota has another stinker, I think they'll be in with the result. And of course, that's you know if 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 but 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 but. But if Toyota have a similar race to what they had at Spa, I don't think that they have the outright pace to to win uh if if they're going to make that many mistakes yeah for sure and you know like you mentioned the biggest uh problem for toyota was was the the problems with reliability and pit stops Mm. mess you know if if there's a car that is closer on pace because it is built to the lmh regulations and therefore easier to balance on paper then you know (laughs) glickenhaus could have won at spa Absolutely. So, um, but we said yeah, the same we'll thing about Bicolors. We said the same thing about Bicolors at Le Mans in 2017. You know, had they just been there, had they been running, they would have won. But they were broken down in the first hour of the race. If, yeah. If, if, if. Um, I actually do want to raise one thing before we move on. You made mention that the drivers, you know, Briscoe, Dumas, and Restbrook, uh, haven't had top class experience for a little while. Is that such a bad thing? You know, this is a serious adjustment from what we were seeing with LMP1, LMP1H specifically, and where we are now with LMH. And I vividly remember, particularly um, Brendan Hartley, uh, you know, saying that it was an adjustment for the drivers to the point where they were basically having to relearn how to drive a top-class car again. You know, the braking points are all wrong, the turning points are all wrong, it feels heavy, passing traffic's harder... Is it such a bad thing to have people fresh to that and with no preconceived ideas of how it should look? Because to me, that sounds, you know, part of the the reason that the seven had so many offs, uh, particularly uh, Kobayashi's off at Brussels. It looked to me like that was a I'm breaking where I used to. Oh wait, I have gone too deep. Well, same thing with uh, Jose Maria Lopez when he punted the Porsche off mm. at the, the last corner, the last chicane. Yes, that is a good point that that sometimes it's better to to join from a clean slate when there's such a difference but also it, when it's harder to lap a car because the the paces are, are closer and you're more likely to have these 50-50 lunges I think it is better to, on on average to have someone who is a lot more used to that. Yeah, fair enough. Um yeah, that's the way I would put it. Cool, cool. Uh, we'll press on from LMH. A, a decent 
a first outing for the new class, and it's only going to grow from here, so plenty of reasons to be excited. Uh, we'll look into LMP2, and despite the late performance adjustment uh, before the first ELMS round a few uh, a few weeks ago, the LMP2 class still looks as terrifyingly fast as it uh, used to. And as well, despite being put up to a gold rating, Paul Hansen looks absolutely terrifyingly as fast as he used to. I, like, I, I was... Very impressed with him as a super silver, you know, even as a super silver, there's some times you just have to be impressed by his performances, but even as a gold rated driver, he was doing things that like the fully fledged professionals for 10 plus years couldn't do. His performance at the beginning of the race was up there with some of the best LMP2 performances I've seen. So big ups to, to Phil Hansen. I, I, I realized about five seconds ago, I said, Paul Hansen, no, it's Phil Hansen. Uh, he was just unstoppable and it was United once again doing their thing in the LMP2. Uh, like, you know, we've we've been doing this show for the last six years and the last two and a half has been, yeah, United won again. <laughs> I have my doubts, to be honest. I oh, think absolutely. I said it, uh, in you know, going into picking cars. I, I was super doubtful in terms of how Phil could step up um, because, as you said, he was only just uprated. Whether he, he would be able to make that development forwards into being a a justified you know proper pro but the way he he had his elbows out and defended against a, a car faster than it at the start of the race um it was brilliant and then because they built that gap they could manage the gap for the rest of the race like they they had so much clear track they could just tap away fast lap times and um you know it compounds it makes you look better because you don't have to defend and against uh, or during the massive scrap behind because the P2 class is so big and competitive. Mm. You know, everyone from second back, they were all squabbling for pretty much the whole race. Yeah. Whereas United, because they built up that gap, they could just tap away clean lap times. And and that they absolutely did. They ended up winning the uh, LMP2 category by a oh, by a, about a minute. Yeah, the the official time listed as a lap victory because they were a, a you know a, a lap well uh, they crossed the finish line ahead of where the the Toyota was on track so they got to do another lap but it would have been about a minute on track and you know if this is if this is the way that LMP2 is going to be little darling hey I'm all for it United Autosports are a class outfit and if they are that good then hey let them be that good it was it was just incredible I don't really know what more to say it's United in it. Yeah, it's it's just United. Uh, Yoda Sport blocking out second and third, at times actually blocking out second and third. Uh, how about that moment for Blomquist with the Alpine going through Eau Rouge? <laughs> that one, that one certainly raised the eyebrows. Yeah, to be honest, I thought um, the Alpine was going to end up going over Radion upside down. Oh, so, absolutely. Um. There were a few flashbacks to a uh, bright blue top class car um, <laughs> going airborne, um, potentially. But how the hell did they both get up the hill safely? I, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I, I if think, they weren't. I, I think if they had hit any, you know, you know more. Yeah one ahead of the other in either direction, that would have been an airplane crash. But I think because they made 
contact exactly flush side to side with each other, at least center of mass side to side with each other. It, it, they just somehow managed to sneak their way through. But that shouldn't maybe be possible. It was because, maybe it was because the uh, Alpine was also Orica-based, so they kind of matched perfectly panel side by side. Um <laughs> Yeah, but uh, like we we are joking, but that's actually pretty a pretty scary moment. And the the ACO came down pretty hard, and uh, like actually gave uh, Blomqvist some penalty points against his license. So you know, a yes, huge yeah, huge penalty in in context. Actually, so let's see if I can actually find the the actual wording. Drive through and withdraw of two penalty points. And I don't think you get all that many penalty points in terms of the WEC. I think if you, I think, what is it, 10? So dangerous driving I think was it's the... on an FIA, um, on your FIA license. So, yeah. um, and it's also quite rare for that sort of thing to happen as well. Yeah. I, um, I, I can't off the top of my head think of another instance where this has happened in the WEC. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Jonas Walt blocking out second and third. What, what did you think? We, I didn't expect that heading into the race. I, I, you know, I knew that knew the cars were strong, but I didn't expect them to be that strong. I thought they were good, um, and and I think it was also good that it's quite difficult to to like not take me the wrong way. But I think it was really good that the uh, the car. Um, I can't remember which number, but the the one with Sean Galale in wasn't being talked about. Yeah, because 28. it's part of the Asian Le Mans series was quite difficult in terms of, you know, oh, he's really bad, you know, KFC, haha, you know, all that, yeah. whatever. Like, he he was really good in that there were no issues it, in arguably a more difficult scenario. Higher speeds, spa, that's a tough, tough track. And a world championship right amateurs. Well. Yeah, higher level, more pressure, and um, yeah, it was absolutely fine. Like, you know, he did what he needed to do, was just tap away lap times without having any troubles mm. and letting your pros do the rest. And 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 they did, you know, the whole team as a, as a whole did really, really well. I am, I'm happy to see the number 38 really return to some prowess. I, I, to be honest, I'd kind of forgotten about Yoda Sport and, oh, sorry, Joda Sport uh, and... The, the 38 and, you know, the Gonzalez, Costa, Costa, Davidson grouping. I You know, they haven't had a good run, like a good consistent run of season. So I've kind of forgotten about how good they are as a team. So is, is this the second coming of Jota? Are we seeing Jota start to, you know, try and dislodge United from the mantelpiece? I think it, it's going to be exciting, mm. this kind of battle of the, the, the big British P2 teams. Oh, um, I forgot they're both Brits as well. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. That's Bragging gross. It, 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 it's going to be good because they have everything, you know, throwing massive punches, you know, all of the different criteria. You've got great amateurs. You've got great pit crews. You've got great engineers setting up the cars. Yeah, it, it's going to be a massive brawl um, throughout this season. And yeah, I can't wait. Don't get too excited. Uh, something to mention as we uh, finish up on the LMP2. Uh, Racing Team Netherlands, fourth place overall. The debut win for the LMP2 Pro-Am category. And you honestly can't say a, another team deserved it. They were 
fighting out with the the front runners at the very beginning when Fritz got in the car. That Fritz got in the car in the lead of LMP2, by the way, uh, ahead of both United Autosports and the Jota cars. Uh, of course, he dropped away. He's a bronze. He owns supermarkets. He's not a fully fledged race driver. Uh, but you know, solid recovery from the from the two pros, and they end up in fourth place overall uh for sorry fourth place for lmp2 so that's a a really solid achievement for the team and i i don't think anyone can complain yeah let's not forget at the um prologue or uh, during um free practice they they had one of the drivers job for now to uh, right off the car pretty much oh yeah uh, and then the the previous race at uh, for weck here there was a massive, massive shunt at Blanchemont for Fritz van Eerd. Yeah. Uh, against, he, he um, was it Thomas Laurent? Yeah, he wasn't swiping. the one who had the shunt, at the shunt, but he kind of tagged Laurent, who was passing him plus traffic, which put Laurent in the wall. Exactly. And, you know, he's had issues here um, in the Delara as well. So, you know, for going into it, he was he was quite nervous vocally on um uh social media coverage and videos and things like that um because this racetrack needs to be respected and you know we had seen a lot of damage uh from the prologue and free practice and qualifying so um for him to convert that into a relatively clean run and then let his two superstar teammates to do the rest uh, i mean yeah it was great it was great. Uh, the next car down the list for the Pro-Am category was the Real Team Racing car, uh, Garcia, Duval, and Norman Nato. They finished a lap down on Racing Team Netherlands, and they actually the pair actually sandwiched into Europol competition. So, fifth place for Schmeichowski, van der Zander, and Alex Brundle. I'm well impressed by that. I, I mean, I know van der Zander and Brundle is a, a star pairing in terms of the pro drivers, but in the past, you know, whether it be the Ligier or a lower quality of driver. We're used to seeing the Bakers a bit further down the field, you know, uh, in at least in LMP2. So uh, uh, good to see, good to see them get a good result in fifth. And yeah, Bujok, it's a solid start. Yeah, and Bujok made some a great point in the live chat. It's not bad for their first race in the WEC. Yeah, it's a, it's a building block. Mm. Um, uh, we'll see Smichowski develop, and um. The, the pro the driver lineup is is absolutely brilliant so it's going to be one of those that are going to be nipping at the heels for for podiums that's for sure who disappointed in the lmp2 class for you wrt that's uh, my pick i was mine too we both got taken in by the honeypot and you have no idea what we're talking about a you got to get in the discord server and be a part of our live race chats and b you got to get into mw clarkson's fantasy endurance con- competition because both of us picked the number 31 car and both of us got burned by what was it in the end that was the problem a a, a power steering it was line a bearing no it was a bearing in the clutch oh yeah that was it and so they spent a, too long in the pits repairing the clutch and they to be fair though they were in a competitive position before that uh, ailment befell them so it was encouraging signs for their first wec race not quite as dominant as their first elms race uh but i it makes me sad oh i gonna be cheap for the next round oh yes that's a good point that's a good point um also, what just off the top, like what happened to the G Drive car, the number twenty six car? 
I had completely forgotten that it was even a part of the race. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <laughs> they were a bit. Uh, they they were in in the running at the at the start, weren't they? With Rusinov starting, yeah. Um, but then they slowly slipped further and further away. They they had a problem um, at some point because they're not classified in the results. Uh, so it's the number twenty six car because the twenty five car was the pro am car and that slipped away a little bit as well. In fact, a lot of the cars finished two or three laps away from the leaders. So I'm not sure why that is the case. But yeah, the the G drive car expired with about an hour and a half to go so it's surprising though because they had the best um the, the best amateur driver uh with the new hotshot franco colapinto yeah so they had all of the pieces they needed but um it was run by apr and they had some shenanigans yeah didn't they you uh, apr and their shenanigans and uh, it, oh. It's one of those things because we because we've seen G Drive with incredible teams with the top rated teams with Yoda Sport with TDS with on road competition uh, you know back before the uh, Ligier JSP two they we are used to seeing them be in teams that will execute everything but they just APR despite all of the pros of being with APR. APR is not one of the top level teams, and I like. I'll put my put my hands up and take all of the flack for saying that, but they are not a United Auto Sports. They are not a Joda Sport. They are not a TDS. They're just not at that level. Yeah, they were made to look a little shite with the um, uh, issue driving into your own team's spare wheel uh, just as it was getting fitted to the other team car at, back at Barcelona. Yeah. Yes, um, it's just all these little things adding up to when you're looking at them, uh, especially in comparison, like you say, with the last few years of of the perfect, um, yeah, perfect runs. Uh, it's kind of a bit embarrassing, which I'm okay with. <laughs> Ah, you're brutal and I love it. Uh, Turns out it was an oil leak for the number 26 car, which I'm pretty sure was the same car that had the oil leak at the Asian Le Mans series. And uh, that's, uh, you know, once has happened since twice is coincidence, maybe? I'm not sure. That was kind of a bit ridiculous at the uh, Asian Le Mans series. Oh, yeah. I think they were needing like a litre of... A pit stop. Yeah, well, they were they were oil, which is shortening stupid. shortening their stints to fill fill the oil back up because they lost twenty liters of oil across the course of the race. It was ridiculous. Um, so they ended up Sheesh. they ended up getting black for oh well meatballed in the WEC race. So that's why they had came in. Uh, oh, it was oil dripping on the track. Yes, I think yes, yes. yes. Uh, so uh, LMP two. Any other thoughts, hopes, or dreams? Um. I was astonished in the position of real team racing. Um, did you say they finished fifth in class? Sixth in class, second in pro-am. Ah, sixth in class, second in pro-am. Their bronze was nervous at best. Um, <laughs> it's a massive step up for him uh, as a bronze, um, previously doing LMP3 stuff. 
Um, I think he's got had quite a steep trajectory in terms of doing Michelin Le Mans Cup, then ELMS, then MP3, and then now straight up to P2 WEC, which is super competitive. Um, but yeah, as we mentioned, super good team. I recognised a few of the mechanics um, and the and the uh, chief mechanic for TDS, who was usually with the the favourite team was at G drive. Then he moved to uh, racing team Nederland and he was then the top mechanic for real team. So it might be the case that real team have their, um, have some of the best TDS guys uh, mm. running the team as well. They have br- really good pros in that car that are carrying it. So if uh, Gonzalez, um, Garcia, Garcia, yeah, sorry, uh, gets um, better, uh, and more used to and more comfortable then i think this could be quite a interesting fight for uh lmp2 pro-am within the same tds garages yeah uh just as an aside just to complete the picture uh esteban garcia's fastest lap time was a let's have a let's have a look at this one it was a uh two minute 12.6 he was the slowest lmp2 driver of the field and his lap time was only one second faster than the fastest L- uh, gte pro lap time of the the weekend so he certainly has a way to go in that respect yeah you could say that again compared to the the fastest bronze he was around Nine seconds. Three or four seconds a lap oh, slower. Yeah. At, at peak speed. For the speed, fastest yeah. bronze. At, at, yeah. And, and or, or, or on average. And then on average to the lap times of the fastest silver, who is Franco Colapinto. That was around four, one, two, three, four, five, six seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So quite a, quite a significant difference. Uh, so for them to for them to snag sixth in class is pretty damn good. It was a big surprise. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we said the same thing about Ultimate at ELMS and they ended up taking Pro Am honors and fifth overall. So <laughs> if you if you are listening and you hear us say a team is not worth watching, keep an eye on them because apparently they'll they'll do something good. Yeah, don't listen to us. Nah, not at all. And on that note, <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break here. We'll be back with a bit more on the GT side after this. This podcast is proudly supported by The Racing Line. The Racing Line is a motorsport calendar and notification app for iPhones and iPads. It includes all major series, with more being added all the time, giving you a daily and weekly list of races so you can easily see what's coming up. All events are converted to your local time zone, so you no longer have to faff around, adding or taking away hours to work out start times in your area. Finally, it also lets you customise notifications for events, so you can choose when you're notified about certain race series. The app is available on the iOS App Store. Just search for The Racing Line. Find out more at www.theracingline.app. Now, back to the podcast. Welcome back to Endurance Chat. Uh, I'm here with Oliver Still, and we're going to be talking about the GTE race from Spa-Francorchamps now. And God damn it, the number 92 did number 92 things again. <laughs> Stronk. Porsche Stronk. 
and you you can't really deny them that strength because they were strong all weekend. Like even the prologue, they were doing ridiculous things. And as an aside, Kevin Estrus like broke the GTE lap record in qualifying by a lot. It was like a two eleven, which is terrifyingly fast. He was in a class of his own the whole weekend. Yeah, you you, you um, had you had GTE Pro, well GTE M, GTE Pro, and then GTE Kev. Like that was that was the way that it worked out. It was just kind of nuts. And you did some analysis again on your sports car engineering blog on the GTE race. I'm looking at this graph, and from outright pace, like in terms of just their their five fastest laps, the Porsche was just untouchable. They were they were a second faster across the five fastest laps than anyone else. Yeah, I think part of that is down to the the start of the race. Yeah, where they could, they had a, a you know just like the United, I think they had a bit of a buffer, so on a clear track they could just tap away clean laps whereas the the guys behind they were squabbling which held them up with on a clear track before they started to be getting lapped by prototypes um you know it takes i don't know maybe 10 laps before or, or 15 laps before they start getting lapped um and so that kind of exaggerates the the gap um usually to the to the first car in the class unless there's an overtake in into turn one that's still quite a significant gap i haven't seen gaps of like a second in in that sort of realm before like that's that's impossible and and the the Porsche still had quite a leg up over the rest of the field looking at your uh your lap time traces they they were the fastest car from most of the race there's just a a significant step down uh on their like like 50th best lap or 50% best lap where they're now more aligned with the rest of the field but they were just completely untouchable yeah I I think Porsche were on another level in terms of um, their performance that weekend getting the most out of their their GTE package Um, they they had more pace um, than I think they actually even showed because they were on a fuel saving strategy for that car as well for the winning car so that that's why i think their um sort of gradient of lap times through the through this plot that i'm looking at uh, it's difficult to explain but um they they're kind of dropping off their pace more than the ferraris um so i think that's maybe because they were um fuel saving a bit more so arguably they have even more to give maybe we'll expect this to be changed for Portimao in terms of the the balance between uh, Porsche and Ferrari. They weren't too bad, um, but because there are fewer cars uh, in the class, it's kind of highlighted a bit. Yeah, uh, absolutely. What it was before, and this is the first time in the WEC we have seen only the two brands in for a full season. I mean, the Corvette was there as well, but they didn't really have the best race they 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 almost had a chance at a podium um but with the um with one of the cars one of the ferrari oh no one of the porsches having problems i'm trying to remember it was the number 91 that got hit by the toyota is that right yes that's correct yeah yeah so that dropped them down to fifth and so last in class 
Uh, and then the, the, the Corvette was looking like it might get a leg up on one of the Ferraris, the, the number 52, I think. But in the end, they they just didn't quite have the legs over the the tail end of the stints, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a weird one because they weren't the proper um, Corvette team. They were yeah. supported by Labra Competition, who were you know historically amateur only racing. So yeah, there, there were some angle you could take there when then when you've you've got you know a fully factory Porsche team they're going up against, for example. Yeah. Um, or AF Corsa and Ferrari as well. Yeah, exactly. They were okay. They they at the start of the race they were hanging on to the coattails of the the class in front. I think they were they were overtaken into turn one by Ben Keating, which was kind mm. of a bit embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but then once they got past onto the the tail of the gt pros they could cling on it's just they started to fall back a little bit um and then yeah once that happened they were kind of running their own race they were they were okay it's not really um they weren't really going in for the in for in for a proper result they were going in for for setting up for a, a go at le mans um which hopefully we'll see them have uh this season oh yes um, please yeah, it's it's good to have um, the C8 um, around the world rather than just in the US. And yeah, more Corvette is better. More Corvette is better. Uh, but unfortunately, we will be seeing the last, at least in a race, of uh, Oliver Gavin, um, your alter ego. Uh, he, in his last event, he, he put on a great show. And I think with Louise's interview after he stepped out of the car for the last time, that was that was a properly emotional moment. Yeah, it's it's lovely storylines and these sorts of narratives. It's, it's really beautiful in sports cars. You've got um, heritage. You've got how, how long is his streak? Seventeen years at Le Mans, maybe. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty close. That's still a far away from the the longest streak at Le Mans, but that's still a pretty respectable effort, especially in the modern era. Mm. Um, oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's it's emotional. And, and it's it's something that's that's really cool what he's done with um an american brand mm. um as a as a brit from, as from a brit England. yeah exactly so um hopefully we see more of him uh, as he transitions into not being a racing driver um he's doing more coaching things and or... maybe some uh microphony talking things i was things. about to say hopefully um, we might not see much of him but we hopefully will be hearing something from him in the future fingers yeah. crossed so um good we wish uh Ollie Gavin all the best and uh the same thing for Corvette. Yeah, absolutely. Uh do you think he'll get drafted in as a third driver at Le Mans or do you think that's that's a, a, absolutely it now? I think it'll be lovely. Let's not forget Corvette also lost Jan Magnussen mm. as well. So he's going to be uh, in the new Dane train with um his son Kevin yeah. at, at uh, high class racing. So there's a there's a spot potentially. Uh, it would be pretty cool because <laughs> um, usually the, the the GT Pro cars have or, or GTLM cars have two drivers and then the longer races they add a third. Yeah. Um, I still see him able to be that drop in uh, third endurance driver. So hopefully that, that's something. But if not, he'll probably be in the booth. Uh, as an ex-driver, um, adding to the commentary 
quality. Which would be cool enough in itself as well. Uh, the Ferraris had a, I don't want to say anonymous race because they weren't anonymous, but they never really, they couldn't stand up to the pace of particularly the 92. Uh, if you are an AF Corsa pit mechanic or a, an engineer, are you worried about the, the pace of the 92 or are you, are you expecting that to get balanced back before we get to Portimao? Both. Both? Yeah. Elaborate. <laughs> like, it, the, 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 the pace of that 92 was scary and I would hope that it would get balanced. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, I, would, I would do a little collado um, <laughs> and be unhappy about it because you want your red car to be winning all the time. Um, it is kind of, was a bit shocking. Yes, sure, Kevin Estra is, you know, Kevin, Kevin Estra. Estra. Um, and that's the justification for them being so far at the front on pace he shouldn't be allowed to be that far ahead so <laughs> can we you know have yeah. a little bit of help here so um yes they were consi- more consistent at reaching their pace uh, as as the ferrari compared to the, as the porsche um so they have that sort of uh, angle to play going forwards as as the porsche kind of drops off but yes whether it shapes out, especially over a longer race, um, that consistency is more valuable than yeah. uh, short-term peak pace. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, despite their troubles in GTE Pro, it was a happy hunting ground for Ferrari in GTM because Porsche had all the troubles across the damn weekend in GTM. You did not want to be in a GTM Porsche uh, over the course of the weekend because they had... They had one car lost at the the prologue um, with, I think, the number 46 Team Project 1 car damaged beyond repair and with no spare chassis. Uh, You had the number 77 Dempsey Proton car crash into the wall at Radeon in qualifying. And then you had the number 56 Project 1 Porsche do literally the same thing. Like, I didn't see... I, I'd gone to get a cup of tea uh, when the race, when the qualifying had gone green and came back and saw the Porsche crash. I was like, oh, are they still showing replays of this? No, it was the same crash. The same crash. Uh, so, not a good time for either of them. And that was qualifying. And then on the outlap, on the recon lap to get to the grid, Mike Wainwright, right? Mike Wainwright... Crashes the car in the S's and writes them off of the race. Oh, I know Please. I've... Oh Please. <laughs> like, I, I know Don't. I've been critical of Wainwright in the past, and I know I've been praising Wainwright in the past, but on the reconnaissance lap, and it wasn't even like it was wet, it wasn't even like there was oil on the track, he just spun. He spun and hit the wall. I was really looking forward to that car. Because hitting the wall they had, quite a, they had quite a good lineup yeah yeah they did of co-drivers they did um, tom gamble and ben Barker. exactly yeah <sighs> oh well next i i cry next lap next race they'll be they'll be fine by the way they weren't the they weren't the only ones to not make it around the reconnaissance lap uh arc bratislava broke a fuel line or something like that or had no fuel pressure yeah they had a fuel fuel leak Mm. and so they didn't make the start either so two cars out before the race had even started uh which is always a great look uh let's talk more about the gtm class as a whole and you may mention ben keating was up with the pros 
from the beginning of the race. And like, if that's that's a, a show of how cool Ben Keating is and how much fun he was having driving, like he was out of the gate like a hare, and it was awesome to watch. Yeah, and and the uh, some of the GTM teams elected to put their faster guys in at the start of the race, and uh, he was holding them up. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he was, he was uh, what was it, Matt Campbell mm. he was racing up against, and he was he was going toe-to-toe for ages yeah. and not letting Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell, get through. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he, he had quite a, a, a great start in terms of, uh, can you remember at Bahrain yes. um, when he was basically at the start all on his own? And he basically had a carbon copy of that race, um, just tapping away in clear track. You know, he could just deal with his own stuff. He didn't have to fight for, for long. Mm. Um, and the same thing with when Matt Campbell got past eventually, uh, he then still had clear track to just tap away until a little <laughs> bit of a... Code Brown. Yeah, that. Well, let's talk about that moment. Uh, Keating was the un, the unwilling bystander, or I don't know, the the unwilling participant in an incident between it was one Pablo Montoya and I'm struggling to remember the other driver. Roman Rusinov. Roman Rusinov. Okay. Well, there's two hardheads. If you if you if you go to anyone and say, hey, who's the two biggest like hardheads in the LMP2 field? Roman Rusinov, Juan Pablo Montoya. There you go. And they they came together uh, out of no name. They were running side by side while lapping Ben Keating and pushed Keating onto the grass on the entry to porn. How he kept it out of the wall, I have no idea. But is it reasonable to say or to suggest that had that moment not happened for Keating, the TF Sport car could have won the race? Oh, yeah, could have would have it's difficult to say um but yeah they they had a, a good lineup with um some actual surprises in in terms of the silvers um they had a really surprising silver that came out of um i think brazilian stock cars or something like that yeah that doesn't um, surprise me considering fraga's involvement in the team as well yeah but but the the um the other guy in the team um their silver um, Pereira, Dan- is it Daniel yeah. Pereira? Uh, Dylan, Dylan Pereira, Dylan yeah. Pereira, yeah, he's someone to look out for as well. So they had a, a really good driver lineup, including their bronze and silver. They have all the pieces uh, to to take a win. They just need to have a clean race and not get <laughs> swiped off the track yeah. at a high speed corner. That was super scary. Uh, you don't want to be going through Puon on the grass sideways. Um, luckily, there's a lot of runoff there <laughs> because otherwise I think we would have had another written off car. Yeah, well, uh, like, he he got very lucky. He got very lucky. Uh, and, you know, part of it is, is skill as well, the fact that he was able to keep it out of the wall initially. But the, the interview that he gave afterwards, the interview he gave after getting out the car was one of the most hilarious interviews he was just like oh yeah montoya he just got a little too excited and i kind of got rolled up on it but you know that's racing that's what we're here for he was just having an absolute blast and so uh yeah just classic stuff from keating and if you if you are able to find that interview if you've got well you know you guys have all access to the youtube replay because that's already up so go find that uh, go find that interview and i think they clipped it huh i think they clipped it as well 
I think they, they have it as a standalone clip as well. So oh, really? Oh, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely check that out. Um, but they were outdone in the end by less than 30 seconds to the team of the AF Corsa Ferrari uh, of Francois Perotto, Nicholas Nielsen, and Alessio Rivera. Now, Ollie, tell us about Alessio Rivera. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah. Okay. A, of course, is... have just done the thing. They've, they've done the Proton thing where they just find the Porsche young drivers and they just like, okay, have, 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 have a super it's, silver song. like times five. Yeah. Like, settle down. Okay, I've got, I've got some receipts. Okay. <laughs> so, normally, you have your amateur drivers doing um, kind of like the minimum amount of time and then you maximize your pro drivers driving time because on average they're going to be the best drivers you want them in the car for longest so then you lose the least and they can you know um keep you up, up yeah. at the front for a, for as long as possible just so, quickly just um, before you get into this nicholas nielsen was that amateur driver you know a year or two ago he's yeah. just been upgraded to bronze so uh sorry to gold from silver so in this team you already have a Someone who was a super silver now playing the he's, pro. He's a Ferrari. He's a Ferrari factory driver doing Euro yeah. uh, GT World Challenge stuff. Yeah, so you know, so very quality pro driver. Nicholas Nielsen. He's yeah. going to be in the car uh, for ages. He only did ten minutes, I think, over his minimum driver time. Mental. He only did. 50, he only did fifty-six minutes of a six-hour race. Then Alessio Rivera did three hours ten. My. He did word. double laps than any other silver in the class okay he did double the, the the amount of driver time as the 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 next uh silver in the class um on average he was over half a second faster than the next best silver so imagine that advantage cascading across across three through, hours through through though yeah lots of laps compared to the, the other silvers um, the top 32 laps that the car did was Alessio Rivera's lap times. Okay. Nicholas Nielsen was nowhere. No wonder he only did 56 minutes in the car. He was slower than the slowest silver. Wow. I wonder if I like that. That to me sounds fishy. I wonder if it was a tire thing, but continue regardless. Maybe. But the thing that, that adds the little cherry on top Alessio Rivera's times, he was comparable to the Ferrari GTO Pro times, okay? He was faster for quite some time against the top Ferrari GTE Pros. He was faster on one lap pace, uh, and arguably, yeah, maybe it's because the GTMs get uh, more tyres allocated, so he could just burn through tyres, whereas the Ferraris had to conserve. But on the other hand, the GT Pros are faster they have a, a faster balance of performance to to keep the classes separate it's ridiculous mm. and, what, and, what this guy can do. and and to cover off that loop here there was on outright lap pace so this is just peak performance there was one driver in the entire lmgt field not lmgtm lmgt field that was faster than rivera and that was kevin s one driver and it was only, oh, well, I mean, only by a second. But that means that uh, that uh, Rivera was faster than every other driver in the class 
in the GT class, pro or am, didn't matter. This kid is ridiculous. They've just he's th- broken. He's broken the class. Like yeah. oh, absolutely at, at its core. It 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 like I don't see if this is how it's going to be. I don't Live see hard. any competition other than maybe the the Keating car. Like it's completely broken. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's quite scary to look at, if especially if you're a fan of any of the other teams in GTM, because it's like, what's the point? Yeah, in turning up if you're just going to be fighting for third place at best. Yeah, and like this isn't a new problem in GTM. We've known about this for a long time. I think even David Hennemeyer Hansen, when he was in this class, was a very vocal, outspoken, uh, data-driven arguer about the way that this class was going and like now we are here and this is what happens and he has a silver rating and that's completely within the rules but against the spirit of the rules i would argue yeah i mean motorsport is all about pushing boundaries and yeah and and finding performance anywhere and you know it's on the fia for not doing their driver rankings correctly because um, this guy, he is a massive outlier, uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, it, it it kind of brings a bit of GTM uh, into a bit of a laughing stock. Um, yeah, a which bit. is a bit of a shame because in the last couple of seasons it's been really competitive. I don't know what they can do to be honest uh, mid-season to hold them back. Maybe they do an emergency success ballast. Um, like they did for the last few seasons or, or last season, because you want to keep your other amateurs in the class happy. Mm. Um, I think they might start to get a little bit vocal about this uh, in the in the um, next few months, because going into Le Mans, like if this guy is going to be doing hours and hours and hours and hours in the car as at this pace, he's going to be lap, like they're going to have like a lap advantage mm. over the rest of the it's class. It's going to be mental. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, they, I think they need to do something about this. Uh, I I tend to agree. Uh, and, you know, you could definitely see who the, the sneaky silvers were because they were, you know, first and second. Dylan Pereira as well. That might be a name that some people remember from Porsche Super Cup, uh, where he was one of the front runners in the in the BH, BY, BWT team as well, alongside Jackson Evans, who... Himself had quite a decent race until the car broke down uh, not too long from the end. And, you know, starting a chorus of, no, my pick in the um, in the Discord server, me included. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a taking advantage of a system that almost works, but that almost is... It's the lesser of two evils. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and so, as well, so... just as a side... They finished the pair of them finished a full lap ahead of the third place team, which was actually Settler Racing, which was a little bit of a surprise. This this brings into the back around to the whole point where they're basically everyone else is just fighting for third. Yeah, and it's kind of like a participation trophy at the moment. So yeah, we'll see. Maybe it's a one off. Maybe it's not. But yeah, and 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 another way to go from it in terms of it being the lesser of two evils, having this. Uh, kind of factory backing of silvers versus uh, generic, real, in inverted commas, silvers. What do you think about uh, moving towards an LMP2 scenario where you have two unlimited drivers? So 
you still have the bronze mandated like LMP2 Pro Am, but then you have the freedom to pick a driver lineup for uh, the era that we're moving into in terms of Pro GT on the slide or Pro GT everywhere on the slide, more manufacturers moving to the top class for manufacturers that aren't in the top class but want to be represented in GT, maybe in future with GT3s, there's more of an opportunity for pro GT drivers to find a drive with a bronze in GTE that way around. So I think it will be an opportunity for uh, OEMs to showcase their driver talent. Um, And also it then brings the issue of driver rankings to be the bronzes. And that's, I believe, would be easier to get right. Yeah, that that does solve a lot of problems. I, I think if if you do that, you run the risk of, I don't know, losing a little bit of personality from the, the, the class. You know, the fact that you don't just have the, the bronze complication, but the silver complication as well is, is I, I think, quite attractive. The, the you know, the, the question comes in, you know, how much does that get abused? And the answer to that in recent times has been, well, a lot. Um, uh, I... I would love I would love for teams to operate under the spirit of the 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 rules and regulations but you know that's definitely not what's been happening because you know if you if you did that then you might lose guys like Tom Gamble or um uh Gomez but I'm not sure that's you know too much for loss to be honest the, you know the Iron Links car that might have uh, yeah you know that's that's going to be something that's going to be quite affected i oh, but the thing is i don't want your 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 answer solves a lot of problems because you still have those guys there if you need them to pay or if you want to um have the the sort of driver ladder that you get with the the factory backed cars i don't know it's they'll it, still want their young pros in the car yeah. to develop yeah absolutely because you can have you know jackson evans just in the car you're going to have more stability as well as they grow into being professional drivers. Yeah. But I'm not sure I'm not sure a ambitious team is going to develop young drivers. So like if you if you were just AF Corsa and you have uh Perotto the money, yeah. Yeah, dropping money yeah. on your lap, might as well give him Molina and Pro, Bird, yeah. why not? Like Yeah. Yeah, like if if he's willing to pay for it, then might as well. Fair and point. then you start to lose the likes of Rivera and Pereira and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I I don't know. It's not an easy problem to solve, which is why I'm glad I don't have to solve it. Fair point, well made. Yeah, I I think that's pretty much it in terms of the the the, the spa race. It was a good race. It was a good race. I thought it was a good race. Yeah, yeah, it was enjoyable. Mm. Um, I have there was always else something down. going on. I have nothing yeah, else written uh, down, so no other talking points from my end. The the it, it was brilliant, brilliant entertainment all the way through. There was always something going on. Uh, there was ebbs and flows. There was genuine drama or uh, or um, intrigue, possibility or intrigue in the top class. Um, yeah, every class had something going on, and uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, and and. Quite honestly, it was just so, so good to have back. And I think it quelled a lot of people's fears uh, around the new class and how it would all fit together and all those sort of things. I think 
having that Spa, because Spa always does this, it's always just a settler. You know, even if it's a frantic race, it's just, yes, the WC knows how to put on a race. And yeah, they did they did a great job. So well done to the WEC on these new regulations. We have a Portimao in a month, in, in four weeks' time. Do we need to see any more changes? Does there need to be a bump up in LMH or a drop down in LMP2? Does there need to be balance of performance adjustments in in GT? Does there need does the, do things need to change? Um, just little little tweaks. I don't think there's anything like systematic that's wrong. Um, yeah, just little tweaks uh, that we expect from you know an auto BOP process which uses race laps um, to improve you know using feedback loops kind of thing yeah um it will converge to a better solution hopefully portimao has a does have a really long straight um which will be interesting to see what the p2s are like at top speed going into turn one um we're gonna have some potential spicy dive bombs uh, into turn one i am so keen Uh, for that we saw from f1 uh where you just send full um exactly um portimao great track can't wait lovely flow um driver driver's gonna love it it's gonna look great on camera um can't wait yeah it's gonna be good uh we've got bujok in the chat saying leave lmp2 the hell alone and i i agree with that we've had so many question marks around lmp2 just leave it the hell alone now and let's get on with it and we're gonna get straight onto it because elms is racing this weekend at the red bull ring so uh hopefully hopefully i will have this podcast up and edited by that point before race start, and uh, that's what, about... Oh, it's less than 24 hours away. Oh, God, time goes so quickly. Um, let's have a, a quick look at the uh, the Red Bull ring to start with. This, in my opinion, is one of my favourite tracks in the world. It is just a speed demon's paradise. All the corners, except for the tight hairpin, really flow into each other, and you can really build up a, a head of steam. It's a perfect... Perfect track for prototypes, in my opinion. Uh, who might it favour in the ELMS paddock? Remember, we're talking P2s, P3s, and GTs. Who do you reckon is going to be the ones who has the car bet up set, best set up for maintaining their momentum? Um, oh, just go out on a limb and say Team WRT, maybe. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're just so bloody good. And, and not United? Yeah, United are good. Uh, I was surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised by Tom Gamble's performance. Yeah. Um, I, I, that was kind of my unknown going into how he was doing in LMP2s. Um, but uh, I think WRT, yeah, they've, they're, they're, you know, almost locked down to getting a good result. Now that's tough to say because of what happened, <laughs> what we were talking about earlier yeah. in terms of reliability. But if they've got a clean race, like they're going to be right up there so yeah and just having a quick look at practice times from l- l- yesterday i was going to say last night but for for most people it would be yesterday it was united auto sports in third place g drive racing uh in second and algarve pro in at the top of the timesheets in free practice two which is a little bit of a surprise to me uh manchada fabian uh sorry ferdinand hatsburg and richard bradley it's that's i'm Pretty well surprised by that, to be honest. Yeah, but it will shake out in the race, I think. Um, yeah. And that, that is only free practice two uh, that we're looking at. Um, I haven't actually had a chance to have a proper look 
at the free practice one times. There's the of course one of the things that we've been talking about in LMP two has been the bodywork changes. Um, you know they started the season by saying, okay, after the first race you're gonna to have to change the Le Mans spec, and then they got to the ELM, uh, the WC and said, no, everything has to be in the Le Mans spec. Now after the WC they're gone. Oh, okay, the ELMS can stay in the normal spec, and the WC has to be in Le Mans spec. What are your thoughts on the 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 changing specifications for the bodywork? It's a bit clunky. Yeah, do, um, do you think it's a good choice for the LMS cars to to stay with the the high down with, with the option of the high downforce spec? Yeah, so for the teams that have never gone to Le Mans uh, and aren't going to Le Mans this season, um, it's a tough ask for them to suddenly buy new bodywork and spares that they've never used before, and just say, "Yeah, you've got to use that," and then all of the front ends that you've got and rear wings, uh, I think have changed. Um, mm. They're, they're, they're now trash. Yeah. You're never going to use them. All of the testing that they've done um, over winter and in spring before the first race, trash data. The only thing that's good for is amateur drive time, getting used to a car, which actually is changing. So part of that, getting them used to it is trash as well. Um, at least now they don't have to buy this um, bodywork. But on the other hand, a team that's going to be doing ELMS and WEC, if the, yeah, sure, the driver lineups are, are different. But if they're doing test sessions, then they're going to have to swap setups and the amateurs are going to have to kind of do double duty, learning if uh, how the car feels yeah. with the Le Mans bodywork and they're not. And they're, and the setup data is going to be difficult for teams to share within themselves. You know, if you've got a, a United that's dialing in their setup for their WEC entry, that data will now be less applicable to share with their ELMS team because the cars are different. Yeah. Fundamentally. Yeah. And, you know, that that's already been a factor. I think the Thursday Paddock notes from the test, uh, courtesy of Graham Goodwin at dailysportscar.com, said that particularly Dragon Speed were running in Le Mans spec across the, the race. And, like, Red Bull Ring isn't a Le Mans spec track. It's 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 part of the reason that the you, you have such high-speed cornering is because you're running that ridiculous level of downforce. So it kind of surprises me that they choose Red Bull Ring of all places to, to do that. I mean, you'd expect it at somewhere like Monza, uh, but not really uh, Spielberg. Yeah, it is a track with a lot of time on throttle so mm. and, and high speed. So it kind of would favor a more slippery car. And then you, you kind of sacrifice that second sector, high speed, long corner S's um that sort of thing but um yes we'll see i think it's it, it th- moves had to be made to make sure that the gaps between hypercar and lmp2 were sufficient to to keep things safe when you're trying to lap uh, an lmp2 but obviously we don't have top class lmh in um or top class hypercars in ELMS so that gap isn't needed yeah i think it it's been clunky i think it the changes should have been directed to WEC P2s solely 
um it doesn't devalue WEC LMP2s for them having to be slower than ELMS P2s I don't think um because the com- it's so competitive in WEC in terms of the driving standards yeah yeah we'll see how how it shapes out in with the difference uh, politically with comments made by yeah. the teams and drivers but um I think it's the the best option the change that w- that was made post Spa Francorchamps uh, WEC to keep um the ELMS from changing too much um so yeah I I think they've they they got it wrong to start with and they've start they they did did the right thing yeah it's interesting to me that you you make a point about the ELMS WC crossover in terms of the bodywork not really making too much sense and then immediately follow up with the LMP2 changes should have been for WC only doesn't that then make the the divide between the ELMS data and the WC data even grander yeah, yeah um fair. but on the other hand isn't it good that the teams that only do ELMS, like the plucky little teams, <laughs> punch against the teams that are doing big things in the World Championship? Yeah, you know, oh, I mean, you've absolutely. You've got a Dragon Speed, you've got Panis Racing, Duquesne, you know, happy cool days. Racing. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's just fair. I just I just found the juxtaposition of ideas very, very surprising. I mean, I, I 100% support you and agree with you on that, and I think the teams that do both are you know, good enough to have two sets of data and just deal with it. I, I just, yeah, I wanted to, wanted to shine a light on that just, just for your own sake as well. Um, entry list changes. Uh, we have Gustavo Menezes confirmed in as the star driver in the dragon speed car, um, taking over from Ricky Taylor. I hope he, I hope Menezes actually gets a lap compared to Ricky after Barcelona. Poor dude. Um, Roberto Meri uh, replaces Pietro Fittipaldi at G-Drive um, because of the IMSA race on this weekend at Mid-Ohio. Uh, and I will get the Americans to get their shit together so that way we can do an IMSA catch-up on Sebring and also Mid-Ohio and everything else. Bloody Americans. And also, uh, Gustus Grinbergers, uh, a name you may remember from uh, the Rick Ware racing car in the LMP2 AM, the car that won a Le Mans entry uh, last season. Uh, he's jumped in to replace a fellow Lithuanian, uh, Julius Adamafikas, in the number 14 inter-Europol car. So, uh, because Julius returned a positive PCR COVID test. Um, so, he'll be making a return to the ELMS P3 grid in the number 14 uh uh, into Europol car. I actually think that's a, that's an improvement. <laughs> I mean, seeing Grimberger's race in person, uh, at the bend, he seemed like a very, very excitable young lad. Uh, and to, if he's getting drafted in as a, as an am, I, he would be a, a good pick for any team, I think. Yeah. I think he, he's a great reserve, um, for anyone to pick up. Uh, he's a, uh, up and coming, um, prospect. So get used to the name. Oh, absolutely, uh, and get used to seeing. I think he and a few other names are really beginning this sort of second wave of prototype talent uh, that is specific to prototypes as well, which is really really cool. Uh, any other thoughts ahead of the ELMS race this weekend, Ollie? Make time for it and watch it. Absolutely, it's going to be a brilliant race. Maybe threatened by weather. Uh, I saw a few pictures 
earlier on in the weekend of some very looming clouds, but let's hope that the, the hills will be alive with the sound of race cars and not the sound of thunder. Um, you can, of course, catch that on the European Le Mans Series YouTube channel uh, and make sure you jump into that. The race will be there for replay as well after you after the race is finished. And, uh, yeah, there's also IMSA. And check that out if you like that style of racing. I'll probably miss it because it's in the middle of the night, so screw that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's everything. One thing that you should do, by the way, is go to Sports Car Engineering and read Ollie's uh, wrap-up of balance performance and hypercar uh, convergence and all that sort of stuff. Not convergence. Uh, you know what I mean. Go go, go read that because, Ollie, you did a really, really good job. And it's really good to see them back again. I've missed them over the past year. Yeah, it was... Uh, I was weighing it up if I, if I uh, actually get around to doing it. But uh, finally got over that. And, uh, yes, look out for a little bit more coming on the horizon. Yes! I love it when people do stuff. I love good Drata-driven OC. I love good OC in general. If, you, if, you're, if you're a listener and you want to just make up something to share with everyone on the subreddit, whether that be data-driven analysis or historical posting or just some stories that you've heard of, go ahead. I love, I love seeing what people bring to the series and to the community. Finally, wrapping up. Thank you very much to Racing Line for, you know, making us making this free for us to do, which is great. Love you, love it, and you should all download the Racing Line app because it means that I don't have to do time zone conversions, which I hate. And thank you very much for listening. I've been Michael Olivari. Peace out. level give me your best welcome to endurance chat good morning good afternoon good evening and good night and welcome to another episode of endurance chat that was endurance chat intimate hour <laughs> that's oh, what it sounds like yeah oh boy endurance chat uh looks like i've got you pretty well pegged at where i want you which is nice Ooh, uh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> slow down pal no I, uh, only only speed <laughs> i am speed Hopefully that's a different phrase meaning in Australian. Uh, have you pegged? <laughs> uh, yep. Yes, it is. <laughs> I can certainly see where your mind went directly into the gutter, <laughs> if I do say so myself. Yeah, well, ooh, yeah. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are around the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. I am Michael Zalavari, and today I have Ollie Trevorwis, to talk to you about sake. I can't <laughs> I, I always get there I get there and I go how's it go again <laughs> it's been like three years it has been trailerverse <laughs> hell. you know what I'm just gonna read it off the <laughs> article I've got open let's do it again <laughs> no just let's just keep it in no nah, we're doing it we're doing just it again with it. we're gonna do it again <laughs> this has to be the end slate oh absolutely <laughs> Heh <laughs> heh.